0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Nobody is graded higher than a rookie running back, according to Pro Football Focus. And a headline of the Washington Post reads, Tom Brady is no longer playing like an elite quarterback. Is that the truth? We'll talk to our friends from Pro Football Focus on a hump day home and home. We are Radio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. The smartest way to hire, check them out, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Let's talk about all the grades from the week that was in the NFL and the weekend ahead with our friend Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Ten bucks a month. Check them out, PFF.com. Sam, good to talk to you, Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Um, a headline in the Washington Post reads Tom Brady no longer playing like an elite quarterback. It's by Neil Greenberg. He cites a declining completion percentage, 14 incompletions in the first half, and the first game in which Tom Brady ever started and finished in which he didn't lead his team in touchdown passes. What are you seeing from Tom? Is he elite?
1: Yeah, I mean, he didn't play well this past week. I don't think that's uh, a shock or that's anything controversial. He, he, he didn't have a good game at all. But look at the supporting cast around him this season. The offensive line has massively declined. They've been playing Marshall Newhouse, a left tackle for most of the year. They've also lost David Andrews at center. That's been a step back in, in, in quality there. Right guard Shaq Mason was an all pro a year ago. He's not playing at that kind of level again this year, or at least hasn't been until the past couple of weeks. So the offensive line is dramatically worse. And, you know, our, my buddy here at PFF, Steve Palazzolo, said they might have the slowest receiving core in all of football. Um, they don't have a single wide receiver with a grade that puts them inside the top 40 in PFF grades. So, you know Brady is dealing with one of the worst supporting casts of his career, or at least the worst for a long, long time, until some of those early Patriots years, and yet he still has a PFF grade inside the top ten. So, look, I, I've I've written that article before. I, I started uh, writing Tom Brady's eulogy, saying he was declining back in 2014, but I think it's probably a little too early to say we, he's not playing at his very best right now. But the entire offense is far from where where it's been in the past. Sam, this
2: week they are taking on the Dallas Cowboys. And I wrote an article this week that I wanted to get your reaction to, which is very simply, why aren't the Dallas Cowboys better? I mean, I'm watching them Sunday, messing with the Lions, barely beating the Lions and Jeff Driscoll. I feel like they're good in most places. I feel like they're really good. A lot of places, Dax at an MVP level, why are they still just slightly above average?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because I agree with you. I think there's a lot of talent on this team and they grade well in most areas as well. They just seem to be finding ways of, you know, letting the odd play here or there come back to haunt them. And, yeah, I think you can nitpick and you can point to certain areas that aren't as strong as they've been in the past. Um, you know, again, you can look at the tight end position. It's not a strength for them, even with Jason Witten coming back. You can say the linebackers aren't as good as they've been in the past couple of seasons. You know, Jalen Smith and Leighton vanderesh were on fire a season ago. They're not playing as well this year. But realistically, both sides of the ball are grading well in pretty much all facets. They just seem to be finding ways of single plays here and there, um, catching up with them and, and causing games to be either closer than they should be or causing losses that they shouldn't have. And, you know, ultimately that's the problem with, with football, or the, the problem or the, or the strength to it, depending on how you look at it, is that this is a game where single plays change outcomes and single plays bouncing here or there can completely change the narrative on teams I think unfortunately Dallas has just seen a bunch of those things go the other way
0: surprised to me checking your running back grades and continuing to look down 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 and find Ezekiel Elliott at number 18 behind Gus Edwards what is the tape showing you about the way Zeke has played this season could the holdout have impacted that
1: yeah, I mean, forget behind Gus Edwards, behind Tony Pollard, his backup. Yeah, you know, they paid Zeke Elliott the ninety million dollar contract, but Tony Pollard is the guy that's grading better and you know has better production given the opportunities he's got. Um, look, I, I think Zeke Elliott is a talented running back. He's one of the most complete running backs in the NFL. He does everything well. But ultimately, this is what PFF has been preaching for a while now. Running backs, by and large, are a product of their environment, whether it's the run blocking, whether it's the offensive alignment dictating the box count, whether it's defenders just not being able to tackle or not. There's a bunch of different things that are far stronger indicators of the kind of success a running back is going to have than the running back himself. So it would always seem like a questionable decision to give a running back monstrous money I don't think Zeke Kelly is playing terribly. He just, you know, he's, he hasn't had um, quite the level of dominance in terms of run blocking and quite the level of production that we expect from him. Uh,
2: what about, I mentioned that, speaking of running backs, uh, what about Josh Jacobs being number one? I mean, I'm okay with young running backs having success. You're used to that in the NFL. I guess I'm a little surprised, though, Sam, that we'd have a, a, a young running back being number one.
1: Yeah, and, and now you're kind of going to make me contradict almost everything I just said, because <laughs> as much as overall and, you know, by and large, running backs are a product of their environment, they can buck that and they can um, overcome some of those deficiencies sometimes. And that's where you start to see guys grade really well, because, you know, we're trying to grade what the running back actually does, does, not just how good his blocking was and therefore what kind of production he had. So, you know, Josh Jacobs has almost 1,000 yards already, but he's averaging or 3.6 yards per carry after contact. He's broken the most tackles of any running back in the NFL, five more than anybody else on the ground, 54 of them so far on less than 200 carries. Everybody thinks that that Raiders offensive line is playing extremely well because the offense is cooking, because Derek Carr looks good, because... Josh Jacobs looks good, but honestly, they're, they're being protected a reasonable amount by the offensive system. Derek Carr is getting the ball out of his hands quickly, and Josh Jacobs is manufacturing a ton of his own yardage, and that's why his grade is so good. You would like to see a little bit more from him in the passing game, and from his college tape, I think there's more to come. I think he was an exceptional uh, receiving talent at Alabama, so I think the ceiling is even higher than we've seen from it so far. But he's been spectacular when the ball has been in his hands.
0: Starting to make the Khalil Mack trade look a little bit better. Talking to Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus. Use the code QB25. That'll get you 25% off your elite subscription today. That is QB25. Um, I want to ask you about QB32, as in graded 32 on Pro Football Focus He's Kyle Allen after four interceptions. Ross and I have argued back and forth about this guy. That makes me feel a little bit better about my evaluation. What is the tape showing you about Kyle Allen? Yeah, I think the
1: the thing with Kyle Allen is we haven't really seen him play as well as he did the very first game he started back against the Arizona Cardinals. He was pretty spectacular that day. He showed the kind of uh, impact that this or the kind of offense this team can be when they have a quarterback sitting back there healthy and accurately delivering the football. And, you know, he's done that this season, but he's been making a lot more mistakes. And a lot of the times the big plays have been coming on the back of a lot of bad. So I think we've seen that he can be an accurate quarterback. He can deliver the ball where it needs to go, but he has been climbing ever higher on the list of turnover worthy plays in PFS systems. So those are, the lowest graded plays in PFF's system. They're essentially saying that whether or not the ball was caught by a defender, this is a play that could and should have been picked off or a fumble that could and should have been lost. Um, and we're downgrading those plays. So right now, Kyle Allen is fourth in the NFL in terms of turnover worthy plays. And of course, he didn't start at the beginning of the year. Only Jameis Winston, Daniel Jones, and now Philip Rivers have more turnover worthy plays than Kyle Allen this season. So Ultimately, we're just seeing a guy who's made too many mistakes to be grading that highly, even if the big plays do exist and the the high-end stuff does look good. What
2: about Dwayne Haskins? I know it's still a small sample size, Sam, but what are
1: the early returns? I mean, the thing with Haskins is it's not so much the mistakes he's making, it's the lack of positive plays. You know, Haskins looks relatively paralyzed in terms of playing at this level. We're just not seeing him, um, you know, make the kind of plays that he needs to, to make to to have an offense functional. And, you know, you see that with some young quarterbacks sometimes that, whether it's the game being too fast for them as the old cliche goes, or whether they just are not fully comfortable with everything with that they're dealing with in the offense. He is yet to cut loose and really start making some of those big plays. So you know he's actually hasn't made that many uh, bad mistakes. He hasn't put the ball in harm's way a lot, but he hasn't yet made what we call a big time throw, one of our highest graded plays. um he doesn't have any of those yet, so he's got a couple of touchdowns, but he basically just is not putting the ball in harm's way at all he's He's really executing this sort of hyper conservative you know Alex Smith style of offense where you know, at the very most, he's being a game manager right now, and I don't know if he's even getting as far as high as that.
0: Your uh, number two-ranked quarterback graded this uh, season has been Lamar Jackson, barely behind Russell Wilson. He's getting a lot of attention, and for good reason, very much in the MVP discussion. But what about that Ravens defense? How high are they graded? Are they getting enough attention for the way they have turned around this season for the Ravens?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the stories of this Baltimore team is they may be the best team in football right now because everything has turned the corner. Um, the defense started the year, and they didn't look that great, but all of those guys in the secondary have got back healthy. Earl Thomas has bedded in after a while playing there, and suddenly they're creating turnovers, and they built they built a defense in an interesting way because most people – Start with the pass rush, uh, and then they try and add the secondary and the coverage to the back end. The Ravens went the other way, and they built the secondary with playmakers and with guys that can change games and create turnovers, and they still really don't have any kind of pass rush. Uh, You know, Matthew Judon is basically the only guy there that is getting any kind of consistent pressure, and even he is not exactly lighting the world on fire. Um, I think he's um, still got a relatively low amount of total pressures, but they've built a defense that will make it extremely difficult for you to pass the football, even if they're not going to get pressure. And then they've got those big bodies up the middle to just ensure that you can run the ball on them all day as well. So, yeah, that defense has really become formidable. And it's, it's the other thing is that that is helping Lamar Jackson because you know whatever, whenever your defense is firing on all cylinders and you're making life tough for the offense – you're putting your offense in an in advantageous game situations as well
0: he's sam monson pro football focus use the promo code qb25 that'll get you 25 off your elite subscription today we love the site we recommend everyone check out pff.com it is the best sam good to have you my friend thank you
1: anytime guys take it easy
0: Tell you what, Ross, that acquisition of Marcus Peters may be one of the brilliant strokes of genius in the NFL this season. He's been outstanding since coming aboard.
2: There is no question. Uh, he's been a difference maker. And it's funny because you look at the Ravens and you think they already have a really good secondary. They already have a lot of money invested in Jimmy Smith and Marlon Humphrey is a first round pick and Earl Thomas. And yet they said, "Nah, not enough. We need Marcus Peters, too, and he has been a game changer for them. Uh, He's been huge. That was exactly the right hire they needed at the moment. Speaking of hiring, Dave, you might not know this, but it can be a challenge. And Codable co-founder Gretchen Huebner discovered that. She needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates and you get them fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address: ZipRecruiter.com/enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com/enter. ZipRecruiter.com Slash enter
0: zip recruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, coming up here in just a couple of minutes, the head basketball coach of Evansville University. Why is he so interesting? Well, you might remember just eight days ago, they shocked the college basketball world at Evansville, knocking off number one Kentucky. We'll talk to Walter McCarty just a couple of minutes. He won a national championship while playing for Kentucky in 1996 and played in the NBA during that malice at the Palace. Perhaps he has some recollections on that. And speaking of college sports, Ross, one thing that got my attention was a story floated out there that the NFL might consider playing some pro football games in college football stadiums, most notably at Notre Dame and at Alabama. But given that Notre Dame just ran out of their sellout streak, couldn't sell it out against ranked Navy and doesn't look like they'll sell out a home game against Boston College, is that the right move? And Alabama, that's a 100,000-person stadium. I love the optics of it. I love the idea of it. I'm just not sure I like the execution. If you're the NFL, can you afford to do a, a big exhibition like this and have empty seats?
2: That's a good question, and uh, I think it depends on how many empty seats there would be. I do think that this is something the NFL can and should and will consider. Like, I got to tell you, if the Steelers played the Eagles at Penn State, Dave, and Penn State can see up to 110,000, it would be jam-packed, and it would be epic.
0: I'll tell you, the only thing I'd rather see, and I like that idea— I want some games at Wrigley Field, at Fenway Park. Have the NFL teams play at those iconic baseball stadiums. I am all in for that. Back now to college basketball and the upset that rocked the college basketball world. Eight days ago, Evansville, a 25-point underdog to number one Kentucky at Rupp Arena. You got it. Purple Aces pull off the upset Let's talk to their head coach, Walter McCarty, who won a national championship with Kentucky in 1996. Coach, great to talk to you. Really appreciate the time. Has it worn off? Can you take us back to the moment you realized that upset was really happening, and how did it
3: feel to celebrate with your boys? Well, first, Thanks for having me, guys. It was awesome. It was really big for our program. And um You know, it started in preparation three or four days before practice. We thought we had a chance to go in there if we played um, together and 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 connected. And a man, you know, when you get the lead in there, you just just look at the clock like clock, please run, 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 run. (laughs) And um, you know, after we got down to it and we we kind of stifled them a little bit. They 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 couldn't get what they wanted. And then we were we were doing a good job of taking advantage of some of the mismatches that we thought we had. And I thought I could call anything and we can move them around and get a shot that we wanted. And, you know, once we got down to three minutes, man, I knew we had it. I just said, guys, all you have to do is rebound the basketball. Just rebound the basketball and you're, and you're going to make history. And our guys really locked in. We were we were really engaged together. And I, I mean, it was fun. It was fun for our program. And, you know, playing at Kentucky, that hardly ever happens. So I just keep pinching myself, man, did, did we really do that? Because it never happens. And the B... Um, with the team to go in and do that, man, is, 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 I mean, I can't, I can't put it into words.
2: Walter, good to talk with you. I'm loving that beard, by the way, man, that is sweet. I got to get that at the bottom. I don't know how you get it at the bottom coming up, but that is, that is awesome. I I guess I want to start. Yeah. I mean, with your, with your history at Kentucky, winning a national championship, coaching there, every, everything that goes along with it. What were your emotions like before even the game,
3: just walking into Rupp as the opponent? What was that like? It was crazy, man. I I was I, I just starting to feel like real getting inside, a lot of energy like I was getting ready to play, which thank God I didn't have to play. But, you know, all those emotions come back. I'm just thinking about all the, the good memories inside there and coming to, um, to Rupp Arena and waiting for our games, just sitting in the stands and just – you know, goofing around with your teammates, man. It was just it was just awesome being back in there and seeing a lot of people seeing former teammates. Just it was it's was just awesome, man. It's just unexplainable. Something that that's just it's just still surreal. So,
2: you know, I know Kentucky basketball fans can be pretty crazy. I'm wondering, <laughs> did you get any negative reaction after the game or after the win? Like any any of Big Blue Nation saying, Walter! How
3: could you do this to us? After everything we've been through, how could you do this to us? Not what, man. Everybody was really gracious, and they complimented us. And they said, if we had to lose to somebody, we're glad it's you, um, somebody who's been a part of this program. So they were really gracious. I mean, they were saying, great job and giving me hugs after the game. These are Kentucky fans, and um, it was just unreal. I mean, they really were. And I know Kentucky fans. Kentucky fans can be really crazy and like and difficult sometimes. But they were, man, they were so gracious. and um. Um, I just really appreciate them because I I think uh, being there so long and, and my history there they really appreciated that and um, that had, I think that had a lot to do with it. Talking
0: to Walter McCarty, the head coach of the Evansville Purpen, uh, Purple Aces, pulled off the upset of the basketball season, 25 point underdogs they beat number one Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Of course, you I would imagine were living your dream before you even stepped into that arena. What's it like being from Evansville and being the head coach there as well?
3: It's great, man. I think it's something that's really brought our community to get uh, community together. Uh, really rallied rallied our fans to, to come back and support this university. But just just being home, and driving to the arena, just every place I go, I'm like, man, this is that's that's a part of me. I grew up here. I went to this church. I went to this elementary school. I know this. It's just it just it feels like home and um, just to be able to be um, a leader of this program and be in this community says a lot for, um, for the city and what we're trying to accomplish. And It just feels really good to do something special like that and, and to be in this position um, in a place I grew up and a place I care so much about.
2: You know, Walter, you're probably like me after having played for a while. I look at things so differently now. And like for your kids, those Evansville players on the 2019-2020 team, They will remember that and they will have that for the rest of their lives. They will talk about that night. They'll tell their kids, their grandkids, what was it like for you afterwards to see their faces and know how much this will end up meaning over the course of their life?
3: It was awesome, man. It, it really was. These, these kids worked so hard. I got a great group of kids. I, I've been fortunate with a great group of kids that they really get it. And just to know they're going to have that experience for the rest of their lives and tell their kids. And just um, we've got them all the newspapers and we framed them all for all the players, man. It's just something really special. I'm just elated and just glad just to be a part of it and to be a part of it with them to be able to experience something like that. So um, these kids have been working really hard and they really deserve a night like that.
0: Walter, are you happy at the movement happening with the NCAA, the legislation out there in California? Do you believe that student athletes should be able to profit from their image, name, and likeness? You certainly could have being a rock star at Kentucky, winning that national championship. Do college athletes deserve to to make some money?
3: I believe so. I haven't thought about it much, but I believe so. Um, There's a lot of money being made and profited off, off these young people and um. I think we just have to find the right way to do it and balance it out. We come up with a solution to do that. I see nothing wrong with it.
2: Walter, last one for me. Uh, you coached in the NBA for a while, and then you go from the NBA to a mid-major like Evansville. Just talk to me uh, through that decision and whether or not that was a tough decision because you probably were in line to be an NBA head coach soon. Instead, you you went the mid-major route.
3: Well, I always had um, aspirations of being a college head coach. I really love the relationships and the development of these young guys. I think they need someone who can come in and help them uh, prepare for success on and off the basketball court. Um, guys they are in the NBA, um, you know, they're, just, they're, they're, they're not as connected. They're good guys. Um, the relationships are stronger. You don't teach as much. That's what I love about this game. You're able to teach these young guys how to be professionals, how to be great students, how, how, to, how to be hard workers, how to Develop really good habits, and that—that's that, what really uh, stuck and stayed with me. And that's what I love about uh, being around these young guys is they soak up so much. We have an opportunity to steer them in the right, um, the, the right direction. So, I love being here. I love my job. I love these kids, and um, it's just I love building this program the right way. So I, I always wanted to be a head coach in college.
0: Outstanding story. Before you go, just real quick, curious. You were playing in the NBA. Uh, At the time of the malice at the palace, the anniversary, 15 years, was yesterday. Do you have any recollections about what it was like being an NBA player at a time that that iconic and and devastating brawl happened between the Pistons and the Pacers in Detroit?
3: Yeah, I remember it. It was was kind of like, man, that really just happened. Because you've never really seen um, something like that happen where it ends up into the stands and fans are down on the floor. So, unfortunately, it was a bad time for the NBA, um, you know, some guys that let their emotions get to them and fans, it's just, it's just bad for basketball, um, um, I'm, I'm sure those guys really regret that. but I just remember, it really put a lot of things into action, into place as far as um, security, um, not allowed fans to, to, to come to the, um, down near the floor, or guys going up into the arena, so, um, I think it really um, helped us evolve on what we need to be careful about, what we need to look out for, but. It was just a, a bad time. You hate to see something like that happen. And um, fortunately, we haven't had anything like that um, happen since then uh, to that magnitude. But it was just, just a bad time for basketball. I'm sure those guys um, really regret their decisions of, of being involved in that. And, it's, and I know all those guys. All those guys are great people and um, really love the game. But also just, just really good people. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they're just caught up in the moment. And unfortunately, we all have those moments sometimes.
0: Indeed we do. Walter McCarty won a national championship with Kentucky in 1996. His Purple Aces of Evansville upset number one Kentucky at Rupp Arena, 25-point underdogs. We appreciate the time, Walter. Best of luck there at Evansville the rest of the season.
3: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you. Wonderful story. You're right, Ross. That's something they will talk about. They'll probably have a reunion 10 years from now just to reflect on what it was like to win that game at Rupp Arena. You know what, Dave?
2: I can speak to that. In college, uh, we didn't have one winning season and in my four years, which is very disappointing. But my senior year, we were heavy underdogs at Yale, and we had an epic drive to win. Uh, and we still talk about that. That's the thing when we go back to reunions. We don't talk about the game. I mean, we, I mean, we bitch a little bit about some of the games we lost and blame the coaches or whatever. But we mainly talk about that Yale game and, the fa- and how awesome it was to be in the Yale Bowl and to have won that game. So everybody needs that in life, right? Everybody needs that that thing that they can have and look back on and I'm I'm thrilled for those Evansville kids. Thrilled I always root for the mid majors when they play against the big school like that. Always. And Subway tournament, I got the underdog baby. That's who I'm rooting for.
0: Yeah, it's just one of the great things in sports, seeing upsets like that. Now, it's also part of the the new college basketball that we witness. When you've got a bunch of kids that are 18 years old trying to come together, it's going to take them some time, 6, 10, 12, 20 games, to really gel and become a team. So it is tough. It is part of the new landscape in college basketball. But nonetheless... 25-point dogs, an epic accomplishment for Walter McCarty. We are unfortunately out of time on a hump day. Tomorrow, we got to get into some outstanding NFL matchups, arguably the best weekend of the NFL slate in terms of playoff teams head-to-head all over the schedule starting tomorrow night. For Ross Tucker, I'm Dave Briggs. That'll do it for us. We'll see you Thursday.